Hey everybody, welcome to episode 230 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. I don't know if you notice, I always pause on the sand because I have to remember which sand you're in. <laughs> I'm in the good one. Uh, San Diego. Huh? The good one? San Antonio. There are a lot of sands. There's lots of sands, well, yeah. Especially in sure. California. Yeah, it wasn't California. It was Spanish originally, wasn't it? It was. And, and most of the sands and Santa's cities of those names are because those were the sites of the original missions that the Spanish explorers oh, built up along the coast. Right. So they, you know, they built one basically a day's a day's sail each, you know, each day sail away up the coast. So I think there were th- something like thirteen different missions. Uh, so you know, San Francisco was a mission, San Jose was a mission, uh, Santa Barbara was a mission, San Diego, Santa Monica, cetera, yeah. Santa Monica, yeah, all of them. So it's not it's not that they're well, I guess they're all near natural things of water, like here in in. I've noticed as we drive across the prairies here, and it's probably the same thing in the states. Is um, is that towns and stuff sort of built up around major rivers because they need water to survive, right? But I guess uh-huh. it's not the case in California. Lots of water all well, around. Yeah, I mean the original the original cities were pretty much all mostly built on the on the coast. Uh, okay. Yeah. Later, of course, there were there were uh, cities built in like the Central Valley, which is on the other side of the mountains from the coast, and other places. But but yeah, I mean mostly along the coast or uh, places like Sacramento, there's a there's a big uh, delta of the San Francisco Bay that goes inland for a while, and that's actually that's actually built on the far side of the delta, right, sort right. of. And yeah. if you dig down in the in the ground near, the, like, because the water, I mean, the, the the ocean is obviously salt water. But if you dig down in the in the ground in that in sort of if you decide to live somewhere and build a well, is it does it is that's fresh water, right? Like, is it filters out the salt? Is that yeah, true? I mean, it it depends where you are. Uh, there's you know in the south Southern California, kind of east of LA. Is a pretty pretty huge desert. Uh, right, yeah. that's where like um, uh, Death Valley is, etc. Uh, so yeah, you're not going to find a lot of water there. But you know, when you go further north, yeah, there's a reasonable amount of water. Except except when there's a drought. Seems like the drought's over right. because the last few days we've we've gotten insane storms, worse than we've had in years. I think rainstorms. Really? Yeah. So huh. water's not a problem right now. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, let's get on with it. Um, so we have some fact check uh, from last week. Where I was talking about the Apple TV, um, the original one, the big honking one. Uh, five and a quarter inch one and it actually a couple of points about it is it came out in uh it was it's i guess the development name was itv and it came out it was announced in tw- uh, september 12th 2016 um and it had i don't know if you guys remember the front row interface it sort of had that um i've been meaning to fire up my uh my apple tv but i don't think i have an app an old apple remote uh, with it because it had a different kind of interface than what we used to on apple tv now um but the first one was actually shipped in march uh or the first apple tv shipped march 20 yeah 2007 march 21 um, and it had a 40 gigabyte hard drive. I think I said 500 gigabyte hard drive. That's no, it wasn't possible and <laughs> back then. And uh, the, the last model that they shipped had a 160. And I think the one I have here has a 160, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, there you go. That was our fact check from last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Ask MTJC front, front, I wanted to mention last week we were complaining again about uh, paywalls 
both. And um, Mike Henley had posted a couple of uh, episodes ago in our Ask MTJC that there's a, a shortcut for pay, for bypassing paywalls that we can use. And uh, I've got a link to that in the show notes for people who, who might have missed the earlier episode. And what's the status here? Oh, yeah. Um, so I just uh, I was killing some time. It was, it was after hours and uh, I was at the office. So I pulled out the app, the uh, new iPad Pro uh, 11 inch, and I put it all along. I stood it on its edge because now it's got a you know square edge. And I took a couple of uh, photos of it uh, down the length to short, sort of show that is in fact not bent, even though in the photos it kind of looks a little bit distorted, but that's just sort of depth of field. But uh, it seems to be pretty straight, not bent at all. Well, nobody said they were all bent, right? No, I just, you know, was curious, you know, but yeah. I was curious to see what what, uh, what the situation was. But so that was my follow-up on uh, Ask MTJC. Was there any more Ask MTJC, Hamid, you know? I didn't see any when I just looked. And right. with okay. regard to your photos, even with the lens distortion that you're referring to, it yeah. seems like an ever so slight bent from the distortion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would seem reasonable to me. I mean, I'm not going to judge people for taking it back under warranty if it looked like that. The ones that were shown in the news articles look like they were bananas, <laughs> like <laughs> the shape of oh, bananas. Really? Um, and, and I have a hard time believing that's what Apple meant in deviation. They were talking like half a millimeter or something, not, you know, practically a U shape, like the way people were shown right. online. So right. there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of truth and a little bit of hyperbole uh, when it came to the Bengate Pro. Mm -hmm. I think there was Bengate a little bit of creative Photoshopping in some of those pictures. I don't know about Photoshopping or maybe they just sort of sat on it for a little bit, you know, you probably get the same <laughs> curvature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do think they actually are. They are, probably are bent and, and that kind of stuff, right? So anyway, our first article I posted up here uh, is from John Stahl. It was in the, the Wall Street Journal again, and I'm using the, the shortcut to read it. But um, the, the, the thing about it is Polaroid, Walkman, Palm Pilot, and then iPhone question mark. That's the sort of thing. Like, And the story is, the gist of the story is, and we can talk about this just instead of reading the article, but is all of those technologies, Polaroid, Walkman, Palm Pilot, were sort of the, they were the cat's ass of their time in terms of technologies. And But they all kind of went away the way of, uh, of all things. They kind of eventually got eclipsed by some other technologies and that kind of stuff. And the question is now, are we at the point where the iPhone is starting to, to see its, maybe its peak and, and soon to be its decline? What do you guys think about that? Well, the, his macro point is certainly correct. I mean, yeah, all of these technologies eventually go away and, and the iPhone will as well. Um, the difference between the iPhone and, and really all the above is is the ecosystem that it's associated with the iPhone right now. Uh, none of those had this extensibility through apps that, that the iPhone has. So I suspect that that will keep it alive a little bit longer than the others. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't really see any evidence of this, uh, you know, contrary to all the, the rumors lately. But the, the iPhone slowdown, I mean, is, you know, mostly due to China and there's China has China's economy is having issues and there's some geopolitical issues as well uh, so it's hard to say I mean yeah he's right long term but I don't see any evidence yet that the, that it's here short term yeah I think it's inevitable like it's, like it says in the article that that these things do, do go and I mean I'm I'm being realistic about it too like you know um, you know we could say that the you know Mac OS will never run on an Intel and yet here we are running Mac OS on Intel, Intel the technologies right yeah because even the original the original Mac uh, yeah, the original Mac OS uh, 10, as we know it, started on the PowerPC chips, right? And then eventually moved over to Intel. Yeah, it's uh, being a realist. And, you know, and again, we also we also talked originally when we started the podcast up that uh, Jaime had sort of read somewhere or said, told me once that he'd read somewhere that, that you know, all technologies last roughly 10 years and then they kind of go away, you know? Um, and here we're 12 years into this now, I think, right? Yeah, there's like 10-year cycles to that, right? I mean, 
mean, let's take, for example, desktop PCs or, or desktop computers. Like, there certainly are some. There are probably many people listening to this podcast right now who desperately want a new Mac Pro to come out from Apple. But it's, you know, clearly not anywhere near anybody's preference when it comes to computing devices. And I don't yeah, say yeah. anybody. I mean, like, everybody's in sort of like the broad general brush, right? People tend to use smartphones. They tend to use tablets. They tend to use laptops. Um, and each of those has sort of lasted a long time, too, right? Like, laptops have been around for many years. They probably will continue to be so, but probably it diminished usage. Um, they're lasting longer. The sort of main point ahead was about the, like, maturity cycle, right? I was comparing at the time for web development and that cycle, mobile, and where I perceived the, the cycle to be at that point. And it seems to have come more or less true. And I think we're just sort of not really coasting along, but we're only getting those incremental gains now where it's not, you know, necessarily the hot, new, sexy thing. And, and certainly there will be some new thing that does that. It's unclear to me at this point as to what precisely that is. It's not necessarily uh, visible on the horizon at the moment. But I, to, to Mark's point and this article's point, the macro thing is, yes, eventually iPhone will either be 100% gone. Like, I, I think you can't even buy a Walkman anymore from Sony. I think they're all historical. Uh, correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. Hashtag SKMTJC. But certainly there's only like a very niche group of folks who are dedicated to that sort of thing. And it's more of a, of a lifestyle than it is a practical everyday tool for them. Um, I don't, I also like Mark, I also don't think it's like, oh no, like 2019 is the year where we're all going to no longer do stuff for the iPhone. I think it will be very clearly a part of that yeah. system because it is extensible, but it not, yeah. it's not necessarily going to be iPhone per se that we'll be all interested in. I bet we will be interested in the satellite of ecosystem stuff surrounding iPhone that, you know, Apple's going to play. And we've talked about services and subscriptions and other things that people are doing. Yeah. You mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the, the laptops, um, angle and I mean, I can say like, I've been using laptops since 1993 cause I had the original uh, power book. Um, and I've always sort of ran towards laptops if I could. And in, I work in a major enterprise now we have like, you know, in, in our building alone, we have hundreds, maybe 600 people, uh, in the one workspace that I work in and 99.9% of us all use laptops, either think pads or, or MacBooks or MacBook pros. And you don't see any desktop computers around and, and that's sort of become the thing because, and it's because of the portability and the fact that you can move around and, you know, we've moved away from dumb terminals, which was the dream at one point, you know, where you can just walk up to any desk and just use it. Right now we just walk up to any desk and we put our laptop on it and, and away we go. Right. So, um, I've seen desktop computers throughout my whole career and, and, you know, I'm 30 years in on, on Apple and, um, you know, now we're all, we're all running around with laptops. So hard to say what, what's going to yeah. come. But we've talked, you know, actually many times before about the difference between the absolute number of units going down versus the rate of growth going down. And so far, yeah, we've heard about the rate of growth decreasing, which really means though that, you know, as long as the rate of growth is not negative, the, as long as the rate of growth is, is positive, the number of units out there, iPhones, is actually increasing. Right, so, yeah. so none of us are selling iPhones. So so uh, if, we're, if we're building to a user base of iPhone users out there and the number of units is going up, well, that's still okay for us. It's, it's just, you know, it's not going up as much as it what maybe was poor, but it, but it's still going up. So and there's a lot of them out there. So as long as it's constant or it's going up slightly, there's still there's still a user base out there. That's true. And the same can be said for for the iPad too. I mean, the iPad hasn't you know come anywhere near in terms of the number of units sold. And and people tend to we you know statistically people can't hang on to their iPads a lot longer. Um, that may be a product that disappears before the iPhone does, or or the iPhone gets replaced by whatever the next thing is. But you know, I think um, iOS has some ubiquity in, in that sense it can be used on a watch it can be used on a television it can be used 
on a you know phone and it can be used on a, on a tablet, right? So uh, the question is like, what where where is all this? Where is iOS going? I guess too, right? But what's the future of the Mac? But, yeah, and I think you said something interesting in there that I I could totally see iPad going away uh, a lot sooner than let's say yeah, yeah. Um, laptops or desktops, if only because of things like the foldable phones that Samsung and some other folks uh, outside of the iOS ecosystem are working right, on. Right. Where if your iPhone could hypothetically unfold to become <laughs> a 10 inch iPad, why would you even buy an iPad? Right? Like, I mean, sure. If as a luxury or, or like, Hey, here's this thing that like my kids can have and please don't break it on the road trip. But if you do, Oh, well, at least I still have my phone that I can use. Um, right. Yeah. I, I think that would be sort of the device to suffer the most in terms of like, well, you've kind of lost your advantage. Your screen size portability advantage is lost. If I can, you know, unfold an iPhone to be that size or very close to that size. Yeah, I don't know what it is about OLED screens, but I actually just saw a television that like like TV, like 37 inch or 40 inch type size width um, television roll out on an OLED screen. Did you guys, have you guys seen, I guess OLED is a sort of a bendable technology. I guess it depends on the yeah. substrate it's attached to, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been hearing about OLEDs for at least, uh, let's see, at least 15 years or so. We were building, when I was in the chip industry, we were building drivers for OLEDs at one point. Uh, and it is it is just a different technology. So it, it stands for organic LED as opposed to a semiconductor crystal LED. Oh, okay. Which right, is, okay. So semiconductors tend to be solid, rigid materials. You know, you, everybody's seen a chip before. It's it's just a, it's a piece of crystal. It doesn't bend. It's not flexible. But an organic LED is a polymer. It's like a plastic type material that still acts. It, it actually, I, I should I should be a little bit more specific about my terms. It is also an LED an LED, a, a semiconductor. It's just a different type of semiconductor, a different material type of semiconductor. Uh, so, so, but it is based on a, a plastic type of material. So there are these long chains of molecules, polymers, uh, and they spin them onto plastic, essentially. Uh, spinning, they just, it's a chemi- kind of a chemical deposition process instead of a crystal growing process. So yeah, so that was always the promise of them, is that you would be able to take your TV and roll it up and put it in your back pocket and when you get where you want to go you unroll it and start watching tv that was always kind of the promise of them That's now cool. you know we haven't seen that yet i mean there's there's other reasons why it hasn't happened mainly because of the the rest of the electronics you know batteries don't roll up so well and and uh you know you need uh you need a microprocessor and all that kind of stuff too that things that that aren't built out of oleds so so we aren't there yet but but it's that's still kind of the process the the uh the promise the video i saw today was was like at the foot of your bed you know there's this you've just got like the foot of your bed and you push a button and the television starts to rise out of the foot of your bed and it was ta- clearly taller by the time it came out than the actual foot of the bed for the bed was so it was kind of rolled and the, impre- the impression was it was rolled up inside the foot of the bed yeah you know yeah. sort of thing now was that a real prototype or was that just an artist's concept i don't know it could be like something done up in sketch i don't know <laughs> yeah i kind of suspect it was just a here's what it here's what it might be like potentially could be yeah but yeah. i just i just noticed that they were talking about an oled um that, yeah. that could roll up right yep yep makes sense all right so how many um what are you talking about here with uh, apple and yeah funny we should we should talk about you know where are these devices going and and, and apple is doomed because it's worth just slightly less than a trillion dollars um let's not forget about the apple watch which despite uh, this weird narrative that it's this horrible flop um it actually sells really well in in a weird stat and granted it's a it's a it's a very interesting and juicy stat because apple is considerably bigger than it was during the ipod era but uh, according to Apple itself, it's like, hey, guess what? Apple Watch sells more than 
than iPod ever did. And it's unclear to me if that's units or if that's, you know, uh, revenue, profit, whatever it is, that's still a lot. I mean, if you think the iPod was successful, clearly Apple Watch would be considered, uh, you know, maybe not the greatest success, but still reasonably successful. That's not my main point. My main point is Apple clearly also still believes in it and is looking, according to this article, to subsidize Apple Watch via Medicare plans uh, here in the United States so that uh, presumably that would be part of, you know, helping uh, track and ensure healthcare for folks. I think we talked about this one or two episodes ago of like, oh, uh, what could Apple do to, to disrupt that? And certainly there's, um, you know, health kit and other bits that, that go in there. But Apple Watch is at least a potential part of that whole ecosystem of healthcare. And I'm sure Apple would make a nice little penny here. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Do you, either one of you guys have the new watch? Not yet. No, not the latest. I've, but I've played with a couple of them at work. They're pretty, oh, okay. nice. They're pretty nice. Yeah, because I have one and I bought it because with the hope that, you know, the Canadian Health Association, whatever they're called, would approve the EKG feature, right? Because um, that's kind of interesting to me. But have you, say you guys haven't haven't tried that or, or know if it's working or not? I haven't tried that not? feature, no. 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 It'd be interesting to take that for a spin. Yeah. Now, for those of you outside the U.S., by the way, uh, Medicare is a federal medical insurance program for elderly people. Uh, so everyone becomes eligible for Medicare. I think it's at age 62. So, oh, really? Okay. So it's a, it's a huge, huge program. Uh, and I, I do wonder if we remember we were talking last week that, that there was Tim Cook hinted about doing something that was going to have huge benefits for the good of people. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and I wonder if that was this, because obviously the population is, at least in the U S is, is aging. There's a lot more older people, especially, you know, the baby boomers are now in that age range. Uh, uh, and uh, even the Gen Xers who are, are getting there fast. So uh, lots of people are on Medicare. So this this could be a fairly huge thing. Cool. Yeah. All right. Where else? What else is going on with uh, oh <laughs> Apple and the news, Jaime? <laughs> They're in the news a lot this past week. Uh, the next one is Apple is saying that Qualcomm refused to sell it chips for the latest iPhones, apparently because Apple sued Qualcomm, as we've talked about before, right, over yeah. the uh, royalty licensing practices. So I'm uh, I'm kind of not surprised. If I was Qualcomm, I probably wouldn't want to sell to Apple either, right? As part of the um, uh, either just being spiteful or just saying like, hey, here's a negotiating lever. But uh, the end result was that Apple was uh, forced into using Intel's modem chips. And I think there was a lot of speculation before of like, oh, was this Apple, you know, rapidly trying to move away from Qualcomm? Uh, here's no. Um, they were trying to do probably a 50-50 split as they often do, like Samsung and uh, LG or the display panel. And uh, they were not jumping in whole hog, but were sort of forced to go into the whole thing because um, Qualcomm refused to just give it the chips. Not give it, wow. sell it the chips. For oh, yeah, thing. I hear you. I hear you. It's amazing when, when one large organization or large entity has control over or another entity's fate <laughs> by refusing to cooperate. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> what could you possibly be referring to, Tim? <laughs> by the way, you know, and this is a sidebar here about the Motorola Razor is coming back uh, as a $1,500 folding smartphone. Really? No. Is it? unfold into like an iPad? No, it's like, it, it's got like, it just looks like a, like the old Motorola razor. Well, I mean, I like don't know. Those, if that's the phones. It almost looks like the star, the star tack, the phones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like a clamshell. I see. I yeah, see. Yeah. So I fooled you both by changing the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was going in the direction of, uh, like King Kong versus Godzilla. And, you know, the tagline I think was no matter mm. who wins, we lose, <laughs> 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 which is timely because Godzilla was a King of the Monsters. I think the sequel right. is 
is, is coming out. I'm trying so, to decide who who would be King Kong and who would be Godzilla. In, in I don't know, in but we all context. lose. That's the point. We all lose, we all lose no matter, no matter who wins. Right yeah. <laughs> all right, okay. So what's happening with the HomePod, speaking of losing? Yeah, speaking of, uh, of international stuff going on, apparently the HomePod will be available in China starting Friday, January 18th. That strikes me as kind of a good thing for HomePod longevity. I've you know, talked about in this show that you know I love my HomePod. I'm definitely an enthusiast for, for it. I'm very, like, as a, like, I own it and I like it. Um, individually, yes, I'm kind of, you know, on the downside in terms of, like, what do I believe are the long-term, you know, uh, results for it going to be and the, the long-term health of it. Um, I could be proven wrong at WWDC and at, uh, you know, the, the presumed fall event this year. It strikes me as a good thing that Apple's going through the effort of, you know, making it available in China. I'm sure it's a non-trivial thing. You know, beyond language, there's a lot of, you know, commerce and regulatory type stuff that it has to go through. So I'd imagine they wouldn't do that um, unless they believed that it was going to be around at least for another year or two, right? Yeah, well, they're doing, they have that separate iCloud uh, instance, I think, in China. We talked about that in the past, right? Um, and we know that there's there's a big, the big Chinese wall, a Chinese firewall, right, that that uh, blocks a lot of services. So. Well, well this will be interesting. This will tell us something relevant to our earlier discussion over whether it may give us some data over whether uh, the iPhone's issues in China are something to do with it being China or something to do with it being an iPhone, right? If the right. if the HomePod does really well there, then yeah, that may be some evidence that the iPhone's issues are purely iPhone related, maybe because mm. it's more competition right. for iPhones, for smartphones. This will be interesting to see. Yeah, see. Yeah. yeah, and for those wondering, this um, mainland China and Hong Kong join the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Mexico, and Spain as markets where the HomePod is officially available. Hmm. Does it say how much it's going to sell it for there? I don't recall that I saw. I don't see pricing hmm. listed here. Yeah. But it's only expensive in Canada, right? By the way, I, I like my HomePod too, but I, I pretty much only use it as a speaker. I don't really use any of the Siri stuff in it, but I do like it as a speaker. I use AirPlay. Do you use, so when you say that, do you use Siri to interact with it or are you AirPlaying from an yeah. iOS device? I did for the first couple of days just for fun, but now mostly no. I just use I use uh, iTunes to AirPlay music over to it from my from my laptop right right i suppose i could do it from my phone too but you know when i'm when i'm home i, I just might as well use my laptop i have more mm-hmm. music out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so did apple release any new items today well they have a 129 dollar battery case for your iphone 10s 10s max and 10r right with the um what do they call the whale bump what do they call this the last time they released one of these yeah we were talking before the show that I, i'm not a big fan of the bump but then we were also discussing about that it keeps it has keep away from the the camera now that i've been educated on that I can see the benefit of that, but it still looks odd to me. I mean, educated sounds more rigorous than the baseless speculation <laughs> that I threw out there. What from earlier? Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, just my I'll, guess. I'll, I don't, I don't know. Having not seen this in person and not being familiar with the wide-angle photography on iPhone and, and how wide right, it gets yeah. exactly. So this, but this, the, I think the other speculation about this battery is that it's a, a bump in price because I think the last one was ninety-nine dollars. Is that not correct? Really? That sounds kind of low for Apple. Was it really only ninety-nine? No, no. The, the previous one. I mean, people were talking about the fact on I saw it on Twitter that that uh, it had bumped up from um, I think it was ninety-nine. And it's gone up by thirty. Dollars or something. Well, that, that's people. not actually a huge bump up. Then, if that was no. what was it, the iPhone five was the last one that it worked for. That was how many years ago? 
five years ago, maybe. I don't know. Well, that was a six, actually. But yeah. The six, yeah. I don't remember. Oh, it's earlier cases, too. Let's see the previous article here, like iPhone 6. That was still, yeah. yeah still a few 99 back. bucks, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know. People were joking today. Now that you say that, you're right. It's only $30 difference. I can't imagine that, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And people presumably, were... you know, battery technology's gotten better, so you have more juice in there, presumably. I don't know for sure. Well, it's interesting that they were selling the iPhone XR um, last week. I saw a few ads on it about the fact that it has better battery life because it doesn't have the, the OLED screen and a few other things, I guess. Uh, uh, make, that that makes sense. You know, it probably has the same battery as the XS and the XS Max. Right, yeah. And I mean, it doesn't require as much power. Do you guys find your battery lasts you all day? Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty I much. Mean, I have an but iPhone not, 10, But not much more than a day if I'm using it a lot. Yeah, I think it depends on the day. Like, I, I find, you know, by the... I'm down around 20, 20%, I guess, at the end of the day, and I'm, you know, when I'm starting to put it on the charger and stuff like that. But, like, like last night I went to a meetup, so I was, you know, using it all day at work, but I would have to make sure that I plugged it in, like, three or four in the afternoon to be able to make it through the entire meetup and mm. the beers afterward and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, you know, for me it all depends on whether I'm using Wi-Fi or, or cellular. If I'm using cellular yeah. a lot, of course, it gets burned down faster. Yeah, for sure. But I don't know, it just seems to be ever since the... I don't know, I don't want to throw the, the watch under the, the, the bus, I guess, but... Um, or maybe I do, because it's been since I since I got the watch that my, my experience with iPhone batteries has, has uh, depleted or, you know, depletes faster. Because I think the 6 was was the first uh, phone. 6 Plus was the first phone I had in a long while that where the battery was really good. And then when the watch came out, all of a sudden I noticed that train. But then there's a lot of communication back and forth between the watch and your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Which eats up juice. Yeah. Is there anything else compelling in this article about uh, that we want to say, Harmi, before we move on to Mark's little link there? No, I, I think we're, we're ready for that. All right. Well, hit us, uh, Mark. This is kind of a follow-up. There was some question over whether or not this would actually work. This case would work with the iPhone 10 since the since the, the physical shape of the device is, is the same. And yeah, the, the 10 does fit based on these articles. I haven't seen it myself. The 10 does fit uh, in it pretty much fine. Uh, there is a little bit of misalignment uh, with where the microphone and speaker uh, gr- uh, grills line up. You know, they're different on the 10 and the, and the 10S and 10S Max. So, so they won't, they don't exactly line up with where the case uh, has has the holes, but that's sort of a minor thing. Uh, the jury is still a little bit out, though, on on whether it actually does work. There's been mixed rumors, and uh, I think we just need to wait and see a little bit longer just to get the get the definitive word on that. Yeah. So in, in the article here that uh, they've quoted Randy Ritchie as saying it doesn't work, and then a little while later, so a little while later, he came back and said that he's deleting his past tweet because it does seem to be working, but uh, yeah, like you said, I think there's an error that pops up and saying it doesn't work, and then Apple's official Apple.com says it doesn't work. So you know your yeah. mileage may vary, as we so like to say. Hard to say. Yeah. Wonder if people know what mileage may vary means. Yeah, hmm. I, think, I think most people know what that means. All right. Um, well, let's drive in, in kilometers and put liters in their car. Mm, well, that's true. <laughs> but mileage—that's well, an interesting word, ter- uh, question. So obviously, in countries where we have miles, mileage is the term yeah. we use. But in countries that use the metric system, do they say kilometerage? Well, yeah, <laughs> no, I, mileage? Let me, let, I, I have no idea. Let me just go to the Honda. See, I, you know, it's funny. I grew up on mileage, so you know, um, myself. But let me just yeah. go to Honda. Yeah, but I, I am very curious about the um, 
you know, further away from the United States answer on this, because you, you did have like transitional stuff and, and certainly a lot of cultural influence from just being next door yeah. to the United States, where I wonder, you know, out in Italy, for example, if we have a listener out in Italy, what do you call the equivalent of mileage? We call what it kind of gas mileage do you get for your car? Kilometerage, as, as Mark proposed here? We call like it fuel that. economy, according to this, this Honda, Honda.ca website, because uh, it's well, basically liters per kilometer is how we measure it, right? Um, and to, to really throw you guys off, it's like a, a Honda Fit has uh, 8.1 roughly to 7.4 liters per 100 kilometer. So, right. Well, we say fuel economy here as well. That's kind of the official technical term for it, but the colloquial term that everyone always uses is mileage. Yeah, I think we probably would too. Yeah. But I don't think they would put that officially in a website. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't have the same ring to it. You know, you're... Well, here's a question. So we can we can throw it out to the Ask MTG JC crowd. You know, the people, we have a few fans in Australia that we know of that, re- that reply to us. So let us know. How do you guys talk about mileage in your various um, environs? And tell us, you know, with an Ask MTJC hashtag, what what up? What up with that? All right. I mean, I think we need to trademark kilometer ridge. Kilometer ridge? <laughs> I wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's, uh, if it's a URL that's available. I don't know. I don't know. Mark, check that out. Did, did figure out how you would probably spell kilometer ridge? Yeah. <laughs> there is a kilometer ridge.com, of course. No, there you go. And I'm going to it, which may be dangerous. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the subtitle is, well, so the title is Your Kilometerage May Vary. Subtitles, it's all long haul from Australia. Uh, oh, there we go. It, it's all a right. blog. So I don't know if you saw my tweet last week, but apparently the kids, like my grandsons, are, are big into this long haul simulator stuff on their, their PCs, their Windows PCs. They play, they drive trucks across the country for fun. Seriously. Interesting. Yeah, so but, like how, <laughs> this is an interesting sidebar here. How <laughs> realistic does it get? Like with modern technology, they could uh, simulate CB radio where you can communicate online only when you're within actual CB distance of each other within the game. Well, I think that's, that's, I don't know if they have uh, ways of, but they probably do have ways of communicating, but I don't know about that. But I was just amazed at the fact that these kids are driving, you know, they they get these jobs where they they get a truck and they have to, they're given a task to take this load to so-and-so and, and, you know, avoid accidents and and go into all the way stations and get weighed properly. And if they, they, if they break the rules, driving from point A to point B with their with their load, they can lose money on the on the deal. Like if they're offered thirty thousand dollars for for a job, right, kind of thing, right? Um, but yeah, and so like it's, it's funny because one one of one of the grandsons turns off all the safeties and just drives like a maniac, and the other one goes into all the way stations and makes sure his weights are balanced properly. And yeah, so it's funny. I think it's hilarious. I, I could I knew there were there long haul simulators, but I didn't think people actually like they're catching on. I don't know. Maybe that's where the iPhone's going. You know? <laughs> okay. Apparently, kilometer is a thing, although most definitions of it is just the uh, amount of kilometers that a car has driven. Okay, you know, yeah. You'd say, what's the mileage on this car? It means, how many miles does this car have on it? You would say, what's the kilometerage on this car? Uh, I oh, find really? one definition of it where it's it's saying the it's, a, it's essentially the fuel economy. So, Well, for the record, um, my my 17-year-old Honda CRV, my 97 Honda CRV, we just, we retired it at 490,000 kilometers nice yeah that's uh, roughly 220 250,000 miles something like that <laughs> isn't it uh, i don't know i have a, I, well let me let me ask pcalc oh maybe it's a little more than that maybe like 300,000 miles <laughs> i have an app called pcalc i can do that kind of calculation on one sec too bad i can't ask siri to do pcalc for me yeah because what did i say because i believe 55 miles an hour is like 77 kilometers per hour something like that so it's so it's roughly 20 percent higher okay here i've got the pcalc up i'm gonna go to 
length. Maybe, Maybe a little, little more than kilometers to miles. Um, two six five seven eight. So two hundred sixty four thousand. Yeah. Okay. That was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends if you're using nautical or no U.S. miles is. So there's U.S. survey miles and there's U.S. nautical miles. Okay. So in U.S. miles, it's three hundred four four seventy. Oh. Okay. Okay. Right. Guess how many millimeters it is. Multiply that by uh, a million. Okay. It's a thousandth yeah, of a meter kilometers. A lot of lot of lot of zeros. It was so a joke. It's a million. Mark. It's like what color is George Washington's white horse? How many yards is it, Mark? How many yards? Uh, approximately, I don't know, uh, a yard and a kilo- and a meter are fairly fairly close. I don't know the exact conversion. <laughs> it's thirty nine inches, by the way, per yard to a meter. Yeah, so thirty six inches is a yard. Thirty nine, if. Uh, yeah, 39 would be a meter. So, yeah, they're pretty close. I'm going to talk to James about putting commas in these numbers so we can read them easier. So, it looks like 535,870,516 yards. So, your yardage may vary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yardage is what you say in football games. We should get back to the show. <laughs> it's it's Hi, all May, the show. Hemi, what, <laughs> what do you got? Uh, we're not going to do an after show this week. We just did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you got for Apple Music there, Hemi? Um, we talked about the fact that Apple Music was probably going to be one of those things that Apple is going to be pushing a lot harder. We talked about in the context of uh, slowing iPhone growth. We talked about it in context of, oh, Apple is adding AirPlay 2 and even the iTunes app to more uh, TV, um, smart TV kind of things. And apparently Verizon here in the United States is going to add free Apple Music to its uh, unlimited data plans, its pricier unlimited data plans. So it will be free to you, assuming you are on one of those plans and uh, presumably not free to Verizon so that Apple can make money off of it. So it seems like a partnership here to uh, give something that Verizon can use as, you know, a little carrot to say, hey, come choose our unlimited plan over AT&T's, Sprint's, and T-Mobile's. And Apple will be like, hey, that's great. Instead of $9.99 a month, maybe we get, I don't know. I'm going to just speculate. Based on speculation, it was a dollar per month. But hey, Verizon <laughs> has a ton of users. And if it can get a lot of users on there, get them hooked on it. And you would hope like, hey, even if they leave Verizon, what does Apple care? It's like, hey, you love our Apple Music, right? So continue to subscribe directly from us now. Seems like a long-term play for them. So what does? So what does? I'm curious though. What does an unlimited Verizon plan cost? Do you have any idea? Like unlimited data, I'm, I'm not right. on the plan, so I don't. New plans with Apple Music included will be available to purchase beginning this Thursday. Uh, I don't know. I, I would guess around 100 bucks a month. I'm guessing approximately. It's weird because they have, according to even just this article, they have um, beyond unlimited and above unlimited plans. Uh, you get <laughs> if you are in the Go Unlimited plan, a completely different plan, mind you. Uh, you will get an Apple Music perk, but that's only a free six month trial. Presumably, that is the cheaper plan. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I just clicked on one of the links here for the Sprint one and it's like $60 a month but there's some caveats about how they throttle things and I guess the hotspots don't work and can you, can you can you tether off your phones now in the States? I think it varies on your plan. Yeah. Oh, it depends on your plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the same thing here. Like you have to have a certain um, uh, amount of megabytes or gigabytes that uh, in your plan, a minimum, like a minimum one gigabyte, I think, plan here to be able to tether. What do I know? I don't have, you know, $3 trillion or whatever to argue with them. Or how much are they How much are they worth now? A lot less than $1 trillion, much less three. <laughs> oh, $3 trillion, $1 trillion. yeah, yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah, it's more like $700 billion now. I know. It's just like they're doomed. I don't know what they're going to do. That's that's not enough to get it done. They're yeah. doomed. Well, I didn't want to put this in the in the show, but I saw an article today saying that they're slowing down and they're hiring, too. Oh, really? All of a sudden? Because of this, because the iPhone uh, slowed down. Yeah. Wow. Huh. I, I addressed this in my 
snarky way on uh, on Twitter that the retail, the very large, substantial retail arm of Apple sort of obscures what that would normally mean if you were Microsoft or Google or Facebook. Like, I don't interpret that to mean reduced hiring for, like, engineering. It almost certainly means retail, in my opinion. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if they're not selling as many iPhones, like, you don't need you don't need people there at the stores, right? Are we talking about this or not talking about this? <laughs> no, maybe we don't put it on the show, but in case it's on the show, there you go. Yeah, no, that's yeah. an interesting point. Uh, the article I saw didn't go in that direction, but you may be right. Yeah, like, let's say they said, all right, you know, we were planning to hire uh, a thousand engineers and, you know, 20,000 retail folks. And they say, holy smokes, uh, we're only going to hire, you know, 10,000 retail, but we'll still hire the full thousand engineering. They've still cut back by almost 50% on their hiring in that scenario. And yet it would not impact like, oh no, what, what happens to Siri? What happens to iCloud and all these other sort of things? Again, I have no information. Um, this is not insider stock trading. I'm not a financial advisor in the normal caveats. <laughs> All right. So what's this foundation DB? I mean, yeah, it, it will seem weird and completely unrelated to stuff. I think we might have talked about foundation DB on the show. So that's why I put this on follow-up. Um, but foundation DB is a key value store, a uh, highly scalable key value store. And they've added record layer, which apparently gives relational database semantics on top of that key value store. So thinking of key value stores as being like document type databases, your MongoDB as a, as a really hypothetical example, as opposed to relational databases like Oracle, MySQL, Postgres. Mm -hmm. This apparently has... Yeah, uh, Redis is kind of the standard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Redis is a, yeah. a perfectly good example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So think about those. Recognize the fact that uh, FoundationDB and this record layer is uh, are both open source. And then the real reason I brought this up is it says right here in the article, one, two, three, four, like five paragraphs down, that together the record layer and FoundationDB form the backbone of Apple's Cloud Kit. We wrote a paper describing how we built the record layer to run at massive scale and how CloudKit uses it. Today, you can read the preprint to learn more. So talk about uh, talk about revealing some of the secret sauce here. This is uh, very, very exciting. I like this. I like seeing, you know, how this works under the covers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did talk about Foundation back in uh, April, I think. What, episode 182. Yeah, it was around the time of May 24th. Or the May... I, I did click on the on the link to the, uh, the paper, the preprint, and the, the title of it is Foundation DB Record Layer, a multi-tenant structured data store. So they're really emphasizing the multi-tenancy, uh, which which makes sense because that is kind of one of iCloud's biggest or CloudKit's biggest strengths is that multiple users can can all put stuff in the same database without them seeing it. You know, there's 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 a public area and a and a private area that's only available to you, right? Right. But it is still all the same database in some sense. Interesting. I'm going to read this article. Yeah, and the highlights down at the bottom have some more juicy stuff too, like the fact that it represents records as protocol buffers or protobufs. Mm -hmm. which we have definitely oh, right, mentioned yeah. on the show as being a uh, serialization alternative to JSON. Uh, uh, comes out of Google, if I'm not mistaken, and is a roughly a b extensible binary format that's super compact, super fast to deal with. I think, as I mentioned on whatever episode it was that it came up in, that it um, is the sort of thing where you're normally not using it directly. You're probably writing your uh, proto file that defines your record, like what is an album or what is a store, and then using tools to 
compile for Python, Java, Swift, Objective-C. Um, kind of interesting here that they're using that as the uh, way to serialize and evolve schemas for this foundation DB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, protocol buffers have, have some nice advantages. One one thing is, uh, you know, unlike JSON, which is really just a text format, uh, but yeah, it can, it can be serialized or deserialized into objects. But at, at heart, it's just it is just text, so it takes up a lot of space. And you mentioned that protobufs are binary, but since they're binary, they they actually can have uh, they're actually classes. They can have they can have methods that go along with them. So so you can actually run methods on your protobuf and have it do things to extract out information that you want out of it. Uh, another nice nice thing is that they have uh, versioning pretty much built in. Unlike JSON, where if you want to version something, it's it's really up to you to when you change the text def scheme of your JSON to make sure that everything is backward compatible with it. But with protobufs, that's kind of all built in. You can you can uh, you can access them with your old version, and it you know it, it will automatically know what it knows about, and the new version will know what it understands as well. They're they're kind of nice things. A little bit of overhead to get them running because, uh, as you said, you have to you have to write a sort of a definition file and then compile them using it's it's called Proto C is the tool, uh, and there's there's a version that converts to Swift as well. But um, yeah, a little bit of overhead, but then they're fairly easy to use once you got them. All right, what's your sidebar here, Hami? Yeah, as long as we're talking about CloudKit, there's a tweet here, and we'll have this in the show notes for those of you driving home uh, by Guillermo Rambo. You might know him from Nine uh, to Five Mac. Does a lot of the reverse engineering of stuff. We mentioned, you know, finding like, oh, well, here's the official names of the iPhones that are coming out, sort of thing. Uh, he has a tweet here that I'll just read as is, and then sort of describe the code. It says interesting voice memos, memoji, and remote management on iOS 12 are using a new private feature of Core Data that looks like is designed to easily sync a core data store with CloudKit. Here's how simple it is to set up. And it's a handful of lines where you use something called a uh, NS CloudKit mirroring delegate. And you tell your NS persistent store to say, hey, here's my mirroring delegate. Uh, that would be pretty exciting because longtime listeners and certainly longtime iOS developers will remember uh, something called uh, iCloud core data sync. And if you don't know what that is. It's probably because a lot of people sort of like backed away from it because it had some, some edge cases and some uh, unhappiness that would sometimes happen and would be very hard to debug and deal with. So folks moved on to other things, but I'm personally excited for the possibility that maybe, he says, not knowing what's happening, maybe we might get access to this in iOS 13 coming in WWDC. Like if Apple's, you know, dog fooding it themselves to try it out, um, to, to sort of work out all the, the problems with it first before giving it to us, just like they are officially doing with Marzipan, I'm, I'm hoping that this comes to us. Yeah, this would be kind of interesting. And, you know, the obvious question is, is this based on the foundation DB thing that we just talked about? You know, is it, huh. is it a layer on top of that? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and it's also interesting because as you, as you said, uh, CloudKit core data was kind of unceremoniously dropped a couple of years ago uh, and, uh, you know, annoyed a few people who were using it, but Apple just kind of dumped it with sort of no explanation. It just kind of went away. And the assumption was that, well, it's, it's, it's going away because it kind of doesn't work that well and Apple doesn't want to put in the resources to fix it because not many people are using it. But, you know, it raises another possible explanation is that, well, they maybe they dumped it because internally they used to use it, but then they all switched over to this thing that eventually became Foundation DB and they didn't need it anymore. So they dumped it because they knew where they were going, that they were switching. Seems like it would have taken a while for them to, to uh, release it, but but you never know. They might have been using it internally for a while now. Quite possible. Cool. Um, next piece here, and this is this falls under the category that, that all follow-up is evergreen follow-up, because this must go, this story must go back like four years for us. 
yes, um, in a sense, in that DuckDuckGo has announced today that you know the privacy people have or the privacy browser people have um, switched over to Apple Maps uh, because of privacy. And uh, so there's a quick article here. Um, at, I think at WWDC this year they announced MapKit JS, which is Apple's JavaScript-based, um, yeah, just, um, mapping technology. So you know, since we know that that Apple um, values your privacy, you know, and DuckDuckGo does as well. So you know that if you're searching for a restaurant or whatever, that's not going to go to some big server farm in the sky and, and keep track of what you're doing and so on and so forth, right? Um, so that's kind of interesting news. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I sort of vaguely remembered the fact that Apple Maps had a JavaScript API that you could use. I, they certainly mentioned it at some WWDC in the last year or two, but I hadn't honestly thought about it until this article came out. And it's good to see that somebody as uh, well-known and large as DuckDuckGo is using it, because that seems to give more credence to the idea that it is ready for people to use. Yeah. Now, they're not making any claim that somehow the Apple Map framework is more secure than, say, Google Maps, are they? Not necessarily, just that that because, well, I mean, DuckDuckGo doesn't doesn't track or claims not to track uh, your stuff. Right, I mean, right. So, so, of course, DuckDuckGo itself is, is secure, but right. the library that they use for Maps uh, is not really... Uh, dependent on that i guess i guess i mean it's it's a it's a good sign for for apple maps it doesn't yeah. it, it, it doesn't necessarily impl- imply that if you use apple maps in your app versus using google maps in your app that it's going to be more secure sure sure yeah, yeah. I, I think it's all about company reputation here right and that apple has done a lot to stand up for individual uh user privacy uh not perfectly and we've talked about that on the show yeah. but i think certainly you would put them up there as one of the the stalwarts or champions of that and DuckDuckGo is apparently also one of those so i think it's as as opposed to like Google Maps where people start getting real twitchy about, well, what is or isn't being tracked and, and other things related to Google's reputation, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, but just the narrative around there. You're right, Mark. Like when I look at it, it's like, does this actually mean that Apple doesn't get this info or how, you know, are, what what exactly do they get? It'd be nice to see uh, more about that, but it certainly seems like DuckDuckGo is uh, considering that because I don't think they would want to hurt their brand mm-hmm. um, right. as a big, you know, uh, selling point of why they're a good alternative to Google. Well, they do say here in, in their in their statement that in the second paragraph there that that uh, if you're sending if your browser sends some location data they'll use it but then they discard it uh, they don't need it they don't want it um, after it's been used so you, they say you are still anonymous when you perform map and address related searches in DuckDuckGo so yeah. that's where the, the problem is it's well, interesting possibly so, the it, biggest reason is that for DuckDuckGo Google is a competitor and charges for maps whereas Apple no, doesn't it? charge for maps uh, if if you're using it on an iPhone uh, so. It may just be that DuckDuckGo doesn't want to pay their competitor <laughs> to use the library. Yeah, there there might be some some cost, like realistic cost related. You know, being like really cynical about it because I think folks will ask, and I'm, I'm certain I haven't looked online to see if this is the case, but certainly in the comments or on Twitter, somebody asks, "Hey, why don't they use OpenStreetMaps?" Well, OpenStreetMaps um, doesn't host tiles for you, right? So there's somebody somewhere has to do it, and there is a cost to do the mapping tile stuff. Right. Uh, a big alternative to to Apple Maps and Google and stuff is Mapbox, but that is not free. Um, my opinion, Mapbox is there, you know, pretty solid, good company. I don't think they get enough uh, enough love mm-hmm. on the internet. Um, but either way, like, I'm I'm certain that uh, cost was at least one factor yeah. in this sort of decision. Yeah, Google but, Maps um, is definitely not free when you're using it in volume. It's free if you only use it a little bit, but once you have large numbers, they start charging for it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just on a sidebar here, I think it was on CBC Spark Radio a couple of, last week or the week 
week before, uh, there was a gentleman on talking about the fact that, you know, if you're using credit cards to pay for things, then you're being tracked um, because the credit card companies have always been, you know, famous for keeping track of things and, and using that data to figure out your spending habits and what you, you know, do and buy. And I think it had something to do with, you know, um, <clears throat> helping people, helping them like decide whether you're uh, based on what you're buying or what you're researching, whether you, whether you're in trouble or you're having, you know, problems with paying bills or what have you, right? That's how they determine, you know, how to upgrade, up your, offer you in a, a more, uh, what do you call it, where you increase the credit limit and that kind of stuff based on what you're looking at doing, right? So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. All right. So we arrived at the main part of the show here. So Jaime, what have you got for us from Apple? Yeah. According to the Wall Street Journal, it says that um, to nobody's surprise, they expect that Apple will have three new iPhones later this year, uh, supposedly a successor to the iPhone XR with an LCD like display. Just came out with some. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like, hey, you know, they have a, a model that fits this niche, then one that fits this one and one that fits this other one. The more uh, sort of juicy part of this is the claim that the high-end iPhone, which this article assumes is the largest of the three, so probably the Max, will include a triple camera system. Uh, I've seen some, some rather ugly renderings of what that might hypothetically look like, uh, but if you want to know, uh, just like the uh, was it Schick that has the Mach 5 with like five razor blades? <laughs> yeah. Or Gillette, as hesitant as I am to mention them, considering controversy. Um, I'll point you to the LG V40, which has five, count them, five cameras on the phone. I believe only three are on the back. I think the the other two on the front. People can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, we're we're going full, you know, razor blade when it comes to, to cameras here. So do we need? Is it because we need telephoto wide angle and what fisheye lens or something like that, or what's the deal with the three? Why do we need three or five or whatever? I'm not entirely certain. I really don't know. I'm, I I think you might be along the right track. I mean, <laughs> fisheye would be really really interesting. Like or for, super wide angle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, there is in you know physics just gets in the way. You know, if you want a phone that is not the size of a brick, like a literal brick, um, there's only so much you can get in terms of, you know, a single camera lens that will, you know, have really good up close and far away performance. And certainly newer iPhones have said, hey, let's split the difference. Let's have one that's really good at telephoto and one that's really good at wide angle. Having a third so that maybe there is better coverage of that middle area or maybe something completely different because, you know, Buster Rhyme videos, you know, you can do more of those with the fisheye lens. I have no idea. I certainly would love to hear from from the rest of y'all or those online as to what you think that third camera would do. Hmm, yeah. And to be clear, for, for folks who might have missed it, that's, this is supposedly three cameras in the rear, so just like we have the double camera in the back. So one thing's inter- one thing that's interesting in this article is it's saying that likely there'll there will only be OLED screens in the next generation. So so it asks the question then, what are the three different models? If you have a successor to the 10s and a successor to the 10s Max, then what would the successor to the 10R be if there's no, if there's only OLED screens? I wonder if they would go back to a smaller form factor phone but with an OLED screen, like an SE with an OLED screen. I actually yeah. kind of think that would be a good idea to mm, try to yeah. address the the lower end market again that you know the given the given the sales performance it seems like that's potentially something that the market would want more than something like the 10r well they sell a lot of SEs. i don't know what the numbers show maybe maybe yeah. it's less than we think but i've seen quite a few of them out there you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. people want the advantage of using ios they want all the features you know to be able to use apps and things like that they want to have like a, a inexpensive camera in a lower priced model and a smaller format right smaller yeah. size format well 
Well, and, and also in, in developing countries, you know, India or, or maybe China, I don't know, that might be might be something that people find interesting. Yeah. I even saw a 5C today, like, you know, the, the one with the, the plastic uh, curved back. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw one of those today. Yeah, for sure. But then I see Blackberries all the time. So mm-hmm. what does that tell you? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but speaking of which, there is a, a quick poll here um, put up by 9to5Mac asking whether Apple should bring the iPad Pro style design, meaning the square edges, um, square edge backs uh, back to the iPhone uh, 11, I guess we're calling it. Mm. Um, are we at 11? Yeah. No, 12. I don't know where we are. Um, XII, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, 10i, 10i, 10, 12, or whatever. Um, whether they should bring back the sort of square bezel look that they have, you know, uh, that we had, I think, in the in the 5 um, and the 4 had square edges, right? Um, and I just really quickly did the poll myself. And 76% of the people on the poll like the like the idea of uh, square edges. What do you what do you guys think? Stick with the current iPhone designs with curve edges or go square? Sure. I don't have a real strong opinion. I just want to see them come up with something <laughs> in the form factor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a look at my iPhone 10 to sort of judge like how would it be if it had the flat edges like an iPhone 5 or like an iPhone 4. Well, you can or stand on like its edge again too which we used to be able to do, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, whoever it was that came out on Shark Tank, that one app that would let you do the like the full 360 photo super happy right that that comes back um they on shark tank really i think he was on shark tank if i'm not mistaken really well i saw Um, saw that guy at uh wwdc the last time i was there the guy who did who invented it was using the the vibration um motors to turn the phone yeah yeah you know i i I think it would look it would look different enough that i think it would really freshen up the design without even making you know he says not being the hardware engineer without making that many changes to it right and it's a very uh, sensible looking design. Uh, there's a slight nostalgia aspect to it, but yet new because, you know, you've got the, the notch and face ID and the lack of a home button. I, I think it could work as a little bit of a uh, little bit of old, a little bit of new, a little bit of a uh, country, a little bit of rock and roll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would it be like an iPhone pro? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll just go to the next letter, right? Cause you have 10 R 10 S the 10 T it's T time and 10T. it plays really well in the UK or the SF after S E. Oh, then it's, sounds like the san francisco edition that's true for well, the science fiction yeah, version yep yep <laughs> well we'll see. wait to wait and see yep. we'll find out next year all right well i guess we're at the picks portion of our show so Jaime, do you have any picks i do um there's a site called uh, uisounds.prototyper.io that has collections of sounds from popular apps that you can use as inspiration for your own sound design for your app so if you really? recognize the facebook messenger ping or apple's sounds as you probably should be used to on an iphone or Skype's UI and Slack's. Like all of those have very, reg- I'm sure even just saying the names of those apps, you can sort of hear uh, whether you like it or not, you can sort of hear the sounds coming from them. And that's part of what this is for, I think, to give you the isolated sounds of like, what does the notification sound from Slack sound like? Um, and, and you can probably slow it down and break it down. Um, what does the high-pitched ping from Facebook Messenger or the power sound for the Apple piece? And it looks like they're going to add more. There's collections on here. It looks like uh, Viber and WhatsApp and Twitter and stuff are on there. Uh, oh, they now that I think about it, they have to update the icon for or the logo, I should say, for Slack. Well, they just came out with a new one today. But that's my pick. Something very, very simple. More more uh, for folks who are interested in the sound design part. We've talked about that on the show. And also mm. for folks who are you know maybe looking for some inspiration and how to jazz things up. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> cool. Um, which reminds me, I just, I just listened to the, um, the Apple ping sound. I wondered if my... I can't remember if I actually got the color 
started going on my uh, my uh, iPad simulator. I think I did the Mac simulator. Um, so my my pick here is uh, um, dad jokes, but they're computer programming dad jokes, and uh, it's a it's a GitHub page here. We list off a bunch of them. Um, you know, what do you call a busy server? Busy waiter? Sorry, that's bad. Let me <laughs> let's forget that one. Um, let's see. All right, this one's really obscure to me. I'm going to choose one. So, question: How many prologue programmers does it take to change a light bulb? Answer: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's done any programming in prologue in the last time I did was in school. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's an expert system kind of language, and it will resolve the thing. It's a lot of list processing. It's very kind of similar to Lisp in that way, I guess. And sure. it uh, it builds up facts, and it was sort of uh, the hotness at one point for uh, artificial intelligence type work before um, you know the more recent sort of uh, renaissance of convolutional networks and, and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where did where did the parallel function wash its hands? Async. <laughs> These are dad jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or what was the second movie about the database database engineer called? The sequel. Sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Here, come on, they're they're dad jokes. Yeah. They. Do you uh, remember Laffy Taffy? I don't know if they still make this candy, but it would have it's you know water taffy type thing, commercial product, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the wrapper. Each wrapper would have a joke that was very similar to these kind of dad jokes. I feel mm-hmm. like there should be like a, a small batch artisanal taffy that has programming jokes on it. Right. Right. What did the JavaScript call his son? Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so Java truly is an OOP language, which could be read OOP language if you wanted to, yeah. as in, oops, I used Java. This is my favorite dad <laughs> programming joke. How many developers does it take to change a light bulb? None. It's a hardware issue. Mm. <laughs> that one's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. Wow, these go on for, for days. Anyway, so that's my first pick. My second pick is actually a uh, uh, along the lines of dad jokes. I don't know why I got these um, here, but uh, there's a, actually a, an API you can add to various things. You can, in fact, you can even add it into into Slack. Um, and I put it in our Slack where you just do slash dad joke, and it randomly puts up a dad joke uh, for the day. So here, let me try one right now. Dead joke. Oh, and you can put in a term. So what's the difference between an African elephant and an Indian elephant? About 5,000 miles. Mm-hmm. That's my other pick. So I'll, I'll link in the show notes for that one as well. As for if you want to add, add dad jokes to your to your Slack. It might add a little bit of uh, of uh, flavor to your, your ladder pick there. So the API one looks like it would probably be a pretty decent way to practice your JSON codable skills if you haven't uh, picked up that oh, particular really? yeah. skill. Yeah, that's something the, that's uh, relatively one? easy to understand you know, uh, without requiring like an onerous uh, a key or process. Mm. Right. Might be yeah. for a code. Review or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. Right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at Smapsoft.com. Oh, wait. He, uh, you can actually add it to Alexa, Jaime. I don't know what you're talking about. What, the uh, ICANN has dad joke. <laughs> it has an, <laughs> here's an Alexa oh, skill for it? Cool. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> My name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And until Until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. 
If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. One of our Slack guys was, was publishing a dad joke every every little while, and uh, yeah, stumbled across the, the programming dad jokes a little while ago. I think I've asked you guys where does the core data uh, developer shop? The persistent store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured you'd get that one. Yeah, yeah. Why There's the your fun- interview question right there. Why was the function sa- function sad after the first successful call? Because he didn't get a call back. Well, what's the op- what's the object oriented way to get become wealthy? Inheritance. Yeah, these are the these are the interview question. Riddle me this, Batman sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like this one here. It's uh, exclamation false. You know, not false. Whatever. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh huh. There was a there was an interesting um, article I saw today on CBC about um, uh, the fact that not only um, like it's not just like, uh, like Facebook and stuff like that that are that are littered with false stats, but things like you know uh, website hits and and uh, podcasts, you know, success and all those kind of download things are all sort of all those sort of stats that are that are you know that people use to like for clicks per whatever. They're all faked as well, and they're all like fakeable or, or hackable or whatever. You know what I mean? exploitable mm. yeah so nothing's nothing sacred anymore yeah yeah i do have some concerns so going on that, that line of like advertising like i know i don't know maybe a couple of weeks ago people were kind of upset about oh, how do i unpack this let me tldr this okay so facebook puts out a video ad product that has tracking of some sort that advertisers care about like hey how many people saw my video and it got people really excited like oh wow look at this great engagement and forget it we're not going to write articles now we're going to do just listicles and video form and fire all these people and so on and so forth death of journalism type stuff mm-hmm. and then it turns out whoops um facebook's you know rule for like was this thing viewed was did the user see it for three seconds and on top of that they would autoplay it so it's kind of question was like wait did the user actually see it or did they just scroll their feed just enough to trigger the autoplay mm-hmm. and then on top of that they didn't even get their stats correct they had overblown the stats by like 50 to 100 percent or something right so all of this like crazy house of cards of lies in <laughs> turn or in inaccuracies and false truths and stuff. Yeah. Wait, sort of Facebook got- manipulating data? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's that part, right? Like you can be very angry at Facebook. And then there's like the folks who are like very angry still at Facebook, but they really should be angry at the, you know, publishers and, and uh, news websites and stuff of like deciding to go a hundred percent into video and forgetting what they were doing. And I think being lured, you know, sort of the meta thing is they were lured by the, you know, trackable data for, you know, engagement in usage. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me as like, wow, I'm really, well, one, they really should have checked to see, well, did this actually really work? Did our business get demonstrably better? I mean, sure. Somebody else is telling us that we're getting great stats, but what do I care about stats? I care about business results, right? That's what they really right. should have been tracking. Yeah. And I'm worried that the podcasting world might end up going down a similar route where, um, was it like NPR is trying to do its thing. Spotify does stuff. Stitcher does stuff. Um, I'm assuming the anchor that we were talking about about earlier today.
Day probably does similar stuff. Like everybody's trying to like force the relatively open podcasting industry into a like, let's have these aggregators that control everything. Mm -hmm. And now the advertisers are going to be like, oh, wow, like, look, people listen to blah, blah, blah. Like, mm, I don't know. Prove it. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, this is more like billboards. Yeah. There's a, there's an accepted standard for billboards, but I can go out there and be like, yeah, prove that somebody saw that Bud Light billboard on Fifth Avenue. Right. But right, they didn't, right. but we all agree to the same lie that they did just very grumpy about that. I think, you know, it, it makes sense as an optimization of like, wow, we can really prove like, sure. But there was, you know, advertising and advertising dollars and people trying to figure out how well it worked or not long before we could do any of the online based tracking. Oh, yeah, I think right. people it lose was sight the of same that. kind of thinking that led to the original dot com crash because people were just all about, oh, how many, how many eyeballs do we get on this thing? And it had nothing to do with or how many users did we get to this website without really worrying about whether it was actually making you any money to, mm -hmm. to do that. That. And it turned out a lot of the a lot of things were not making any money, even though they got a lot of hits. Yeah, got of hits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, ooh, a shadow pick in case this ends up on the show. Um, have any of you guys seen Valley of the Boom that's coming out on? Uh, I want to say it's the National Geographic Channel. Uh, no, no, you haven't oh, seen the ads for this. Valley of the Boom, like you Yeah, it's um, it covers a handful of uh, folks and um, companies like Mark Andreessen at Netscape, yep. mm. um, some other guy from. Mm, I don't remember his name because he didn't strike me as recognizable. Uh, the other ones are some folks from uh, theglobe.com mm. and it's a mixture of uh, reenactment, dramatization, actual video from time, as well as interviews of these people, you know, 20 some odd years later right, about right. the boom in Silicon Valley. Mm. Oh. I've only seen like one, maybe one and a half episodes so far. Not sure how many there are out there. Maybe it's a brand new series, but it's, it's very entertaining. If you like, uh, if you like pirates of Silicon Valley, or if you liked um, Halt and Catch Fire. Mm -hmm. Is it on Netflix, did you say? What's it on? I, I think I was watching it off of National Geographic Channel. I'll, I'll take okay. a look. Okay. It sounds like that compact. Did you see the, the, the Netflix movie about compacts, Rise to Glory and Fame and stuff? Yeah, the Cowboys of Silicon Prairie. Or yeah, something like that. Uh, was it Prairie? Or what? I, I'd have to look that one up. Too. I, I definitely did see the one you're talking about, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, Valley of the Boom on National Geographic Channel. Hmm. I wonder if you can watch it online. New episode, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm. I'll have to check that out. On National Geographic. Yeah, go to uh, nationalgeographic.com slash TV slash valley dash of dash the dash boom. Looks mm. like it's on... Oh, these are just trailers. Never mind. They're on YouTube. Oh, here we go. It is a new series. It says for, on Google, it says first episode date was January 13th. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating to see some of this stuff. Like, I knew that Netscape uh, blew up on its IPO, but I didn't know exactly how much it had gone up. I'd forgotten that stuff. It was uh, what do you mean? shocking. It was, I mean, I, spoilers here, but I guess if you remembered your history, which I clearly did not, um, I think they were thinking of maybe pricing the IP, the stock at IPO at like 25. It on the first day went as high as 78 and closed at like 54 or something yeah. like that. I mean, when that's this? amazing. This, oh, this when is, did that happen? The 90s. Oh, Five-ish, oh, maybe? Oh, You'd okay, have to look okay. that up too. Huh. Yeah, there's a couple of stocks I was waiting to see if they go public, but uh, hard to say now is a good time to invest in anything, right? I'd be careful. Mm -hmm. It's a rough one. Although Apple stock is up a bit again. That's kind of nice. Like still, I'd still be careful. Yeah, it's up to 154 or so now. Okay, it's just cre creeping up. Yeah. Well, earnings is coming out in a week or two, and presumably all the bad news is priced in already. So if yeah. there's any hint, any whiff of upside, stock uh -huh. should go up, I think. But it, again, who knows? If
All right, guys, I gotta get going. I gotta hop on the treadmill. I didn't have a chance to do that yet today. All right, how's that going? It's good. Yeah, gotta do it every day. Oh, yeah. Otherwise. Is it the Peloton one that they've been <laughs> showing? Oh, no, no, that no, looks no, like no, a no. pretty badass yeah. one on the TV. Yeah, that's, like, a, wow. that's a stationary bike, right? I kind of want to get one of those because it looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. This is just a treadmill that I walk on or run on in front of the TV. It's pretty boring. So the Peloton looks actually kind of cool. Yeah, maybe I'll have to. Well, they have the, the the stationary bike. They also have a treadmill. Oh, they do. Yeah, the the video that I saw was a treadmill version. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it apparently it requires this, you know, subscription in order to get the, like, yeah. join the virtual class sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, night. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.